Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. God is good. Amen. That was kind of weak. Amen. Amen. God is good. Hey, a couple things before we launch into this weekend's message. Uh, number one is, I guess the OCC boxes are due next week, not the week after. So you have one week to get your boxes filled and bring them back to the church so that we can send them off into the stratospheres of the world. Number two is this. Next weekend is our last weekend. I'm gonna, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 42 today. I'm going to do one more message out of Psalm next week. And then the following week, we're going to launch our new series through the book of Ephesians entitled Ephesians Threaded with Redemption. What I love about Ephesians is you can look at the whole book and all woven through it is like this needle and thread just weaving through, telling the story of redemption, telling the story of the cross, telling the story of why Jesus came. And it's absolutely beautiful. And so I am super excited to get into Ephesians. But before we do that, it's two weeks off. And this morning, we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, in Psalm chapter 42. I don't know about you, but I have walked through seasons of my life where really external circumstances were making it very difficult, if not almost impossible, to praise the name of God. Maybe you walked through a season and because of something that was happening outside of your control, it really caused you to doubt the goodness of God. And maybe it drove you into this inner turmoil, this season of depression, this season of anxiety, and just saying, God, if you're real, you're really not showing yourself to me because I don't see you anywhere to be found. And if you are good, I'm having a really difficult time believing that that is true. I know for a fact that there's some people in our church going through difficult seasons right now, seasons that just shatter my heart. And I know that there's many of you out here this morning, too, that are going through situations that I have no idea about. And maybe you walked in this place this morning saying, it is impossible for me to praise the name of God because I don't even think he sees, let alone cares. Maybe you're fighting back heaviness and discouragement. Or maybe you're fighting very hard not to give in to your emotions. Did you know that emotions were a gift from God? That we can connect emotionally with this king of heaven, this God of all creation. But sometimes these emotions, the devil likes to steal them and pull us away from the goodness of a great God. And often that comes when circumstances are out of our control. See, there are some moments where you find reason to praise, and then it's like almost in the next very breath, the next feeling, you feel like God has forgotten all about you and don't care. And you're like, what the heck? Like, I felt like my soul was ready to praise, and then two breaths later, I don't even know if God is good anymore. You ever been there? I have. I've had many seasons in my life like that, and what we're going to see this morning is that David, the man after God's own heart, found himself in the exact same situation that he is talking about in Psalm chapter 42. Here's the context for this psalm, is the speculation is that this was written about the time when David was prevented from going back to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, and there's one of two reasons that he was probably prevented. One was this could have been the time when Saul was hunting him from cave to cave because David was a threat to Saul's throne, and so Saul sought to kill David. The second reason, the second possibility, is it could have been right in the middle of Absalom's revolt. 
If you know anything about Absalom, he was David's son. And because of David's sin with Bathsheba, this generational sin took over and it's just started to destroy everything around him. Because of this sin, David's son Amnon had raped his half-sister Tamar. Absalom was Amnon's half-brother and it enraged him. So finally he had enough and he went and killed Amnon. But that wasn't enough. Before we knew it, Absalom was also after his father's throne, and he raised up this coup, and he got about 200 men and some of David's own advisors, and he went against his own father to overthrow his throne. This army arose, and this battle took place, and before they know it, there was almost 20,000 people dead, and David's own son, Absalom, was one of them. But Absalom was after David, and so when David wrote this psalm, there were circumstances out of his control. It was either Saul was hunting him or his own son was hunting him, but he didn't know what to do, and it drove him into this season of deep, dark depression. See, whatever the cause was, David, this man of God, was in a state of deep pain and depression, battling with the same thing that we have battled with, a desire to praise God, but struggling with how he actually could. If we looked at this whole psalm just in an overview, it's really this battle that David is having with himself. Wanting and desiring to praise God, but because of his external circumstances, finding him in a place, himself in a place where he said, there's no way, how, how can I praise this God who claims to be good when my enemies are hunting me? If God was so good, he would destroy my enemies. If God was so good, he would remove this external circumstance. And I just don't understand it. And so that's where we find ourselves. He was fighting for hope when it seemed hopeless. And not, try not to surrender to his emotions. If you have your Bible, we're going to read Psalm 42. And he starts it by saying this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, not a dead God, the one true God, the living God of heaven. When shall I come and appear before God? Verse 3, you can probably relate with this, My tears have been my food Day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You've ever been there? On your face, weeping, have no desire to eat, no desire to drink, no desire to do anything because your life is so out of control and your only food, your only drink is the very tears that are pouring forth from your eyes and those tears are coming out and asking you, where is your God? If he's good, where is he? Your tears just flowing, saying, God, there's no way you're good. David can relate. David was there. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession into the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping the festival, David's saying, as I'm eating my own tears and in turmoil, I can remember the times that God was good. But the times that God was good is not good enough for now. Yeah, I've tasted his goodness. I've seen his goodness. But right now, it has no value. It has no impact on me because my tears are my very food. Where, oh God, are you? Have you left me or forsaken me? 
Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then David says, for the first time in this psalm, he preaches to himself, hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. But then he reverts right back to, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roars of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. They're just consuming me, God. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to my God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, here it is again, where is your God if he's so good? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says it for the second time. He preaches into himself again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If we went into verse, or chapter 43, we would see that David is still wrestling with this. It does not end with David just all of a sudden in this great light-footed place of, oh, now I can finally praise God again. He has been so faithful to me. No, he's still wrestling and he's still warring and he's still fighting because his life is spiraling out. Of control. So here's what I want to do with the short time that we have left, is I want to look at the way that David responds in this psalm. And as we walk through this, I pray that if you are in the darkest hour, in the darkest season of your life, and you are in that place where you are on your face, and you're weeping, and you're saying, God, my tears are my food. I don't even know how to express myself, but where are you? And your tears are saying, where is your God? If he's good, he can't be good because he's obviously not here. If you're in that moment this morning, my prayer all week has been this. That God would grip your heart and you would be able to see the way that David responds and see that you're not alone and cling to his steadfast love. God, I pray that as we walk through this, that your spirit would move in a way that only you can, God. God, my heart is broken for those who are broken and your heart is broken for those who are broken. That's the reason you came to the cross, Jesus. And so, God, I pray in this moment, Father, that you would do things that I cannot, that your spirit would move in ways that only you can, that your word would come alive, and that you would encourage those who are in here this morning, and they're on their last breath, and they're on their last moment, and for the last months, God, their tears have been their food. God, I pray that they would leave here with you being their food, their hope of heaven, the God who loves them and is after them fiercely. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we can see in chapter 42 is this, that in this moment, he utters an honest cry. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? See, it appeared to David as if God had forgotten all about him and he did not care. He even voiced it. God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me here just to be destroyed by my enemies? For if God hadn't forgotten about him, why were his enemies not driven back? 
Why were the people that were hunting him not destroyed? He was in a cave hiding for his very life because his life was before his very eyes, flashing before his very eyes. And in that moment, he's thinking and he's saying to God, where are you, God? Why have you forgotten about me? And he cries to heaven. He cries after God. David, a human, as I said earlier, 1 Samuel 13, 14, says that David was a man after God's own heart. But think about this. Even David had his moments of deep struggle. Even David had his moments of deep pain and doubt. Even David had his wondering why God was not showing up on his time. You ever been there? Maybe you're there this morning. Not understanding the ways of God. And if David, a man after God's own heart, didn't understand his ways, how in the heck are we going to? Because, see, we tend to tie our emotions to our circumstances. And we tie the goodness of God to our circumstances. And we tie his favor to our circumstances. And we tie his goodness to our emotions. And David is in that moment. He is not by himself. We have all been there. So if you've been there, I want to encourage you, you're in very good company with the man who was after, who had the same heart as God, a man after God's own heart. And he was asking God, why do you let me stay in this state of mourning? But did you know that David was not the only one in Scripture who had felt forgotten or forsaken by God himself? David was not the only one who was uttering a cry for help and feeling like no one else cared and no one else saw him. Jesus did the exact same thing when he was hanging on the cross. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus is hanging on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, to pay for my sin, my debt. And in this moment, he was feeling utterly forgotten and forsaken by his own father. He was feeling like God had just left him out to dry. Listen to what it says in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Please hear this. In the same way that the father had not forsaken the son and left him to his own Jesus felt isolated he felt the whole weight of sin but the father was watching him and it was in his perfect plan it was his will to crush him he had not forgotten about him he had not left him the same God that did not leave his son is the same God that has not left you in your pain God has not forgotten about you nor forsaken you because your circumstance seems out of control in the moment that you can't hear him in the moments that you can't see him Take heart, because Jesus couldn't feel or see his father in the moment he was hanging on the cross either. That's why he cried with another cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's with you. Even if you can't see him, he's with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Or Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, you ever felt alone? You feel alone this morning? I want this to seek deep into your heart. We do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you are in a moment this morning where you are hurting, utter a cry for help. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to express to God that you feel like he's forgotten you and he's left you and he's forsook you. Just cry out. 
He wants you to cry. There's something that happens when we cry because when we cry, we're dependent. And when we're dependent, God has us right where he wants us and needs us. The second thing we can see that David did was, number two is this, he acknowledged God's steadfast love. I want you to look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. See, David in this moment chose to acknowledge the steadfast love of a good God. He really probably deep down had troubles really believing it was true. Believing that this could actually be true, but he still acknowledged his steadfast love. He still acknowledged that God was good. John, 1 John 4.16, God is love. He can be no other. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But you know what's more amazing than this cry and this affirmation, this affirmation of steadfast love is what came right before his cry for steadfast, the steadfast love of God. I want you to look at it. Deep calls to deep in verse 7. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. David is saying, God, your breakers, your waves, they're about to crush me. I don't even know if I can take it. Yet even in the midst of those breakers and those waves and those turmoil and there's pain and the discouragement and people hunting for my very life, I will choose to affirm your steadfast love. It didn't come in a moment where he was feeling all hope-filled. It came in a moment where he was filled with turmoil and he didn't know what to do. See, in this moment, God's love is the ballast in David's little boat of faith. Think about it. God's love is what keeps him from capsizing in the storm of his emotions. Sometimes all we have to cling to as we're in this sea and the breakers are coming in and someone in your family has left you and your marriage is on the rocks and your kid has wandered away and your business is falling apart and your family's in turmoil and you don't know where to go. And it's like, yeah, God, that's me. Your breakers, your waves, uh, yeah, that thing that happened in the past, that's about to destroy me. And sometimes all we have to cling to is this little ballast, this little hope that keeps you floating and it's affirming and confirming and trying and choosing to believe in the steadfast love of a good God. That's all David had to cling to. Was this little ballast of faith called the steadfast love of God. See, God's steadfast love is both David's ballast and his anchor of hope. Everyone in this room this morning has either been in or is currently in or will be under the breakers of a wave that threatens to take out your entire life, that threatens to destroy your marriage and your family, that threatens to destroy everything that God is for because the devil loves to destroy. And sometimes, like David, you need to just learn to acknowledge and cling to the reality of God's steadfast love for you, even when you can't see it and even when you can't feel it. 
If you can't see his love and if you can't feel his love, I want to encourage you in one thing. Reflect upon the cross. Reflect upon it. He did everything possible to make a way where there was no way. And sometimes when I'm in a state of just a funk and don't even know what's happening, sometimes I just have to reflect and say, God, my entire world is falling apart. But one thing is constant and true. You, when you hung on a cross to steal the sting of death and pain and sin, and one day you are coming back again. That is love. There's nothing greater. You can praise God for that. But even when you don't feel like it, you need to claim it because it's true. The third thing is this that we can see in the text is he chooses to sing. I want you to look at verse 8b. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Bear in mind, this is not a song of jubilant hope. This is not a song that is like David is writing this song about how amazing his life is and he just wants to praise God for his goodness and his grace and all that he has done and it's just easy to sing and it's easy to pray. That's not where David is. It has nothing to do with jubilant hope. He was in this place where he didn't know where to go. He didn't feel any hope at all. In fact, he felt like he was being crushed, that he said in the verse right before that. He was looking for hope. He had no hope, but he was looking for hope. And when he was looking for hope, he chose to sing. The crazy thing to me is he wasn't just singing. He was literally singing his prayer to God. Singing it to him, laying his request before him. He's singing with a plea. He's singing with a plea for help. He's not really singing with a praise. He's singing with a petition. God, if you're anywhere near, you got to show up right now. Because Absalom or Saul, they're about to take me out. And I'm hiding in this cave and my whole family hates me. And God, all my enemies are coming against me and you must just not care. But he sings anyway. And he sings to this God of steadfast love who has come to set him free, to redeem him. This, the same God, the God of David is the same God who is in this room with you today and is fighting for you. And will you choose to sing? Because sometimes you just have to choose to sing even when the pain is deep and cutting. In Daniel chapter 3, there's the story of three men who... King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler over all of Babylon, and he ordered this decree of everyone in the whole province of Babylon must bow down and worship this statue that he had erected. And if they didn't, their very life would be threatened, and he would just take them out. And all the province of Babylon, when the music began to play, they would bow down and worship this statue, and they would just do everything that Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do except for three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, it became known all across the land that they would not bow when the music came, and they were called into Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, is this true, boys? They're like, oh yeah, it's true. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, if that's true, the next time the music plays, you better bow down or your life is gone. 
I want you to hear what their response was in chapter 3, 17 and 18. If this be so, our God who we serve, who is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not bow down and serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In this moment, they weren't doubting the, God, the love of God. <laughs> they were just choosing to worship even when it made no sense, even when the entire province was after them, even when Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to just throw you into the fire. They're like, well, bring it on because our God who is able will save us. But even if he doesn't, we still will not serve those dead gods. They chose to worship, and it was actually their worship that threw them into the fire. If they would have chose to worship the statue, they never would have gotten to the fire. But because they chose to worship the living God of heaven, their life was threatened before their very eyes, yet they chose to sing. Not to the statue, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Sometimes you just have to choose to sing. Even if you don't believe it, choose to affirm the goodness of God. There are power in words. There is something that God does when we will just acknowledge his goodness even when we don't see or think that he's good. He begins to stir in us something that we cannot stir, choose to sing. Number four is this, and we see it right in the text as well, that he remembers the good seasons. I want you to look at verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. In this moment where David cannot taste or see the goodness of God, what does he do? He chooses to remember the times that he could. He chooses to remember the times when he was in the temple and worshiping and the presence of God was so thick and so there that he could not deny, he could not deny or doubt the goodness, the steadfast love of this great God. And sometimes when you're in the darkest season of your life, all you need to do, you have to look back and remember God's past faithfulness. Look back and remember those times that you were walking with him, those times that he felt so near, almost as if it was he was just like your spouse, just right there. You were so, you were just so in tune with him. David in the midst of his greatest turmoil, thinks back and says right here, God, I remember those days. I remember how sweet they were when I was the one leading the worship service, when I was the one leading people into praising you, and now I'm just having struggle praising myself, but I remember what it was like in those days. It's okay to walk through seasons where you don't feel like praising but in those moments, if you will remember the seasons that you did, God can really do something to begin to light your heart again for who he is and his goodness. Remember the good seasons. See, many seasons in my life where I had to remember when something happened, I just had to remember that his faithfulness in the past was proof of his faithfulness in the future. 
If he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future. He can be nothing other than faithful. I say it a lot because it's one of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 2.13. That even when we are faithless, God remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. It's who he is. He is faithful. To a thousand generations, he is faithful. And so if you're in a dark season, man, I would just encourage you this morning to think upon his past faithfulness. And let it be your motivation and your trust that he will continue to be faithful because he can be nothing else. He can be nothing other than faithful. It's his nature. It's who he is. He can be nothing else. So if you're doubting his faithfulness this morning, I challenge you to remember the times in the past where he was faithful, where he was present, and use this as encouragement for the storm that you're in right now. Remember. There's a reason all throughout Scripture God asks Israel to put up stones of remembrance and stones and places to remember what he had done because they walked through seasons that were hard and difficult. And God said, when those seasons come, look back and look at those stones of remembrance. Why? To remind you that I was faithful. And even in this season where you don't think I am and you're eating manna and you don't even like the manna and you just think I've left you out to dry and I've stuck you out to kill you, just remember that I was faithful. I brought you out of slavery and I'm bringing you into the promised land but in those middle seasons is pain and turmoil and hurt and hard and hard to believe and hard to have faith and God is saying remember you know the greatest symbol of remembrance in planet earth the cross remember it has been paid in full to telestai it is finished for as far as the east is from the west i have removed your transgressions from you you can believe and trust that i am good but you have to remember number five is this he thirsts for god verses one and two look at what he says as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O god My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In the Hebrew, this word pants literally means to long for or to crave. To thirst is this idea of being parched in a desert with no water anywhere in sight. And David is saying, that's how my soul is, God. That I am longing for your presence. That I feel so spiritually dry that I am just thirsty for who you are. He wasn't thirsty for what God could do. He wasn't thirsty for the circumstance he could bring him out of. He was thirsty for the heart of God. It's very important that we see this. That he is not thirsting for relief from his circumstances, which he did want, by the way. He was not thirsting for relief from his enemies, which he did want, by the way. That's the whole reason he was in such turmoil. And he wasn't even thirsting for his enemies' destruction in this moment. Other parts in the text or in the Bible he was, but not right here. Even in this moment, he wasn't thirsting for that. What was he thirsting for? For more of God. More of the living God. It says right here, my soul thirsts for God, but not just any God, the living God, the one who I know can come and redeem, the one who can save me, the one who can, I just know can be present. I thirst for that God. 
Psalm 84, 2 says, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. David over and over refers to God as the living God because there is no other God. The God of heaven who can redeem and save. That's the God he was crying for. He was not thirsting. See, his thirst was for who God was, not for what he could do and not even for what God could give him and remove him from. He was thirsting for the presence of the king of glory because he's the only one that can satisfy. See, in his moments of deepest pain, he thirsted for God himself, clinging to his steadfast love. And I just want to say this morning, in your moments of deepest pain and heartache and rejection, are you thirsting for relief from those things or for God himself? Because God can give you relief from those things, but it will not satisfy your soul. There's one who can satisfy your soul, the living God of heaven. God is saying, in these moments, does your soul pant for me? Does your soul thirst for me? And you're like, Luke, well, I don't even know how that even looks. Even if I could do it, it starts with just crying and being honest to him. God, have you forgotten about me? God, my tears, you see them, I'm eating them. They are my food, they are my drink, and you have just forgotten about me. Cry out and believe, be honest with him. It's okay to not be okay because the gospel is for not okay people. Cry out and believe that he is good. And the last one, number six, is this. And it may be one of the most important But we can see it twice, David actually does this in this text, two times, which is why I think it might be one of the most important, is he preaches to himself. Look at verse 5, and then we're going to go to verse 11. David says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But then he says this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Look at verse 11, same thing, says the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Then he says the same thing again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David was preaching to himself a very simple message in the midst of his deepest moment of pain and heartache and turmoil. Right here. Maybe you need to put it on a plaque and plaster it in your bedroom or in your office. David's saying to himself, David, 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 I'm preaching to you, David. I'm, David, I'm preaching to myself, hope in God. Praise him again, for he is my salvation and he is my God. Did you know that in your deepest moments of pain, the best preacher is not me or someone else, it's you. It's you. It's you and God. Any preacher on planet earth can stand up here till he's blue in the face and tell you, oh, well, just get out of your turmoil, get out of your pain. This is, this is what God can do, blah, blah, blah. And it's like static. It's like, <laughs> that's all you hear. Until the Holy Spirit gets involved. Until you begin to hope in God. Until you begin to claim his steadfast love, even when you don't feel it. Preach to yourself hope in God. His steadfast love 
For he is my salvation. He is my God. Put it on repeat. Put it on repeat. And then when someone like me is standing up here, it's not. Luke doesn't know my pain. David doesn't have any idea what I'm dealing with. Yeah, he did. No, preach hope, God. I believe even when I can't believe, help my unbelief that you are good, that your love is sufficient. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be honest with you. In fact, I may even throw some curse words at you, but at least you're being honest. David had those moments. Cry out. Preach to yourself that God is good. See, we must learn to preach truth to ourselves which is why we must know the word of god we're not just preaching anything we're not preaching some joel osteen seven steps to your best life now no we're preaching the word of god that is true that is faithful through every storm through every breaker through every wave if we know his word we know how to preach to ourselves if we don't know his word we just preach to ourselves all the things our flesh wants Know it so you can preach it, so you can remind yourself of his steadfast love. And even when your life is unraveling and shattered, you can remind yourself that God is good. I want you to hear, as we begin to wrap this up, what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Psalm 42. And I think we have this for the screen. He says this, I quote, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sometimes you just have to quit believing the lies from the enemy that he's trying to spit into your mind that you're unworthy, that you're unable, that your life is about to unravel and that God does not see you and he's actually forgotten about you and he's out to destroy you. Did you know the enemy's number one ploy is to seek, kill, and destroy and he will do it at all costs? Quit listening to his garbage. This is my plea. Hey, Satan, here's your voice now. Now here's God's voice, hope in God, my God and my salvation, the one who can save, the one who can redeem, him I will lean into, him I will run to. (sighs) What's that, Satan? Oh, God is, yeah, he's on his throne, man. His steadfast love is faithful. And even when my life is unraveling, I still will choose to worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can choose to worship with the flames of their entire life being there. I can too. But what we have to do is switch the static. We tend to listen to the voice of the enemy. And then when God starts speaking, all we hear is, yeah, God, you're not faithful. God hates you. I know he does. 
yeah, he's out to destroy you and your family and your life. I know, that's what it feels like. I mean, can't you see my tears? I'm just eating them because I can't even, I don't even know what to do. My tears are my food and God, he's forgotten about me. Hey, hey, David, uh, I'm trying to speak. This is God. I don't want what you have, God. That's what we do. Switch the static, switch the noise. Push the enemy away and cling to the promises of God and trust that he is good. Preach to yourself that he is faithful. See, we must learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He paraphrases Romans 8, 31 through 35. He says this, listen, self, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? We must learn to preach the gospel to ourselves in our moments of greatest despair, turmoil, and depression. For it's the only thing that will get you out. And if you're in this room this morning and you don't even know who Jesus is, I want you to know that he came to do what only he could do. Because if you're in your moment and your darkest hour without him, I don't know how you're going to make it through. I really don't. It's hard enough to make it through with the creator of your soul on your side, with your defender fighting for you. It's hard enough. And if you don't have him on your side, he's your enemy. And I don't know how you can get through your darkest moment. You can't. Because the enemy will take you out. But if you will believe upon the finished work of Christ, it's really simple. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I'm jacked up. And I know I'm in my biggest despairing moment. And yeah, I don't even know if you're good, God. In fact, I think you've forgotten about me and you never even knew me. If you just come to him and acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior who can wash away all of your sin and then in the eyes of a holy God, he sees you as perfect, he sees you as righteous, he sees you as redeemed and then the enemy cannot touch you. It can happen in a moment. But you have to believe that when Jesus hung on the cross that it counted for you. That when he hung on the cross, he took all of your sin and put it upon himself so that you could live in the fullness of God. And there's no magic formula. There's no magic prayer. You can't do enough good things to earn right standing with God. You can't be the best person. And you just have to accept God's free gift. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's the most amazing thing on the planet. But I'm telling you, if you're in your darkest moment this morning, you're trying to do it apart from being redeemed by the Son of God, you will not make it. It's hard enough when you have been redeemed. But God is right there with you, fighting for you. Come to him. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. So as we wrap up, I just want us to see and remember something. That it's okay to not be okay because the fact is the gospel is for those that are not okay. Be honest. Cry out. Choose to believe when you don't think you can believe. See, David, even at the end of this psalm, is battling to praise but not knowing how to praise. 
he got to the end of this psalm and he still didn't have it figured out. So if you don't have it figured out, welcome to the club. He was acknowledging his despair and trying to convince himself to hope in God. And if we're honest, there are seasons in our life that this very thing seems utterly impossible, but that's okay because just like David, keep thirsting for God. Keep fighting. Keep believing. Keep trusting. And maybe all you have to cling to is his steadfast love. And I want you to take heart this morning because even by the end of this psalm, David was still wrestling. He was still fighting. He was not where he wanted to be. He was still praising, but not praising in the way that he wanted to praise. He was still trying to hope, but not hoping like he was wanting to hope. He was still begging and asking God to reveal himself. So if you leave this room today and you don't feel like, man, my whole circumstance, my life that was unraveling, I, it's kind of the same thing. It may be that's the result of sin, but one thing can change your perspective and you can believe that God is fighting for you and you can believe that you can lean into him and you can believe that he is for you and you can believe that he has purchased you and you can believe that he wants your best. And if you can believe that, you can weather any storm, you can weather any breaker and while it not, might not be easy, even if your spouse doesn't love you, God does. Even if your son or daughter doesn't love you, God does. Even if your boss hates you, God loves you. You can cling to the promises of God and believe that they're true. And that is what changes a circumstance. That in the midst of your darkest hour, Jesus can shine light and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the gospel. If the band wants to come up, we're going to wrap it up. See, David was not where he was wanting to be in hope, peace, and praising, but he was still pursuing and thirsting after God. If you're in a season this morning of pain, rejection, heartache, heartbreak, depression, external circumstances that you can't control, and feeling as if God has left you, I want to encourage you to model David in these moments in the same way. And may I remind you, this is how he dealt with it. Number one, he uttered an honest cry. Number two, he acknowledged God's steadfast love toward him even when he couldn't see it. Number three, he chose to sing. Number four, he remembered the good seasons. He remembered God's past faithfulness as his future faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. Number five, Thirst for God. Don't thirst for your circumstance to be removed. Primarily, that's okay to thirst for that. David was too, but it wasn't his primary thirst. His primary thirst was for the God of heaven, the one who could redeem, the one who could restore, the one who could take a broken and shattered heart and make it whole. And number six is this. Preach to yourself this. Hope in God. I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Preach it to yourself. Preach the gospel. Get very good at preaching the gospel to yourself. So when the enemy knocks, all you hear is, when God knocks, 
My son or daughter, I am here. I love you. Just run to me. Cry to me. Come to me. Be honest with me. If you've got to cuss at me, cuss at me. But just come to me and be honest so that I can begin to redeem, so you can believe again in my steadfast love, so that you can remember the cross as a marker of my faithfulness. You can look to the future and remember because I was faithful in the past that I will be future faithful in the future. And even if it doesn't settle, the dust doesn't settle here, one day all will be made new revelation. All tears will be wiped away. All will be made new. You'll be in the presence of the almighty living God of heaven. And that is something you can hope for. But you got to switch the static and listen to God and don't give the devil a voice. Let him be all day long. And cling to the fact that God is fiercely in love with you cling to it, listen to it, and run to him. The way we're going to end this is we're going to take communion. Under your chair, there should be a communion cup. And as we take this, communion is really a reminder of his faithfulness to us. If you don't know Christ, like I said earlier, I don't know how you can make it through the darkest hour of your life. But that can change in a moment, and today can be the day. For if you have not accepted Christ, you cannot have hope in him. You cannot praise him. He is not your salvation, and he is not your God. But today can be the day in a moment, in the blink of an eye. And as we take communion, it is really a reminder of the faithfulness of God. Jesus, before he went to the cross, he said this in Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. He said, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. So as we take this communion, this Lord's Supper together, I, before we take it, I want to take like 30 seconds because I know for a fact that there are people in this room who are hurting deeply. And if that's you, I want you to take a moment and just pause. Try to release your current circumstance and ponder what Jesus has done when he hung on the cross And remember that even he felt forsaken. And even he uttered a cry for help. Jesus, God himself, felt forsaken by his father. So you're not alone. But you can remember his past faithfulness. And you can cling to the cross as your hope for the future. That his blood was spilled on your behalf. So your blood did not have to be spilled. And his body was broken so that yours did not have to be crushed. So that he would atone for what only he could do, the sins of the world. So for 30 seconds, I just want you to take some time in your prayer, in your, in, in your mind, and just reflect upon the faithfulness of God. Put away external circumstances.
God, I thank you that this is a holy moment and that you are on the throne. God, I thank you that right now for those in this room that their tears have been their food day and night, that you see that, that you catch them in a bottle and that you remember them. And God, I pray in this moment that you would show yourself faithful because you are faithful. I pray pray for those who are depressed and in turmoil and anxiety that somehow by the power of your spirit, God, you would do the things that only you can do and move in ways that only you can move. That you would remind the broken of your faithfulness that you would remind the depressed that you are good and your love can be trusted, that even if someone in this world is against them, you are not. God, that you are for them and you proved it by sending Jesus to the cross. And God, as we take this bread, we remember your body that was broken on our behalf. You went to the cross and were crushed so that we did not have to be crushed for the sin that we deserve to pay for, God. So I thank you as we take this bread that you are such a good God and that you love your people so much that you made a way where there was no way, God. So as we take this bread, would we remember your body that was broken on our behalf so that we could sing a song, an anthem of freedom. Thank you, God, for your body that was broken. And God, as we drink this juice, I can't help but think every time of how when you were in the garden before you were going to go pay for my sin, God, you were in such agony, you were in such turmoil as so many in this room are feeling, God, that it actually caused you to sweat drops of blood, the very same blood that would be spilled to the ground at the foot of the cross to set us free. That you knew the full weight of what it was going to cost to set me free, and you chose to do it anyway. God, so I pray for someone in this room that is in agony and turmoil, and they feel like their life is about to end, God, that you would remind them that you can relate with them, that you are not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, God. You were tempted and tried in every way, yet you were perfect and sinless. So God, for those that are hurting, would you remind them this morning that not only was your blood spilled on our behalf, but it was sweated on our behalf before you even went to the cross because you knew the full weight of what you were about to endure. And because of that, God, would you remind someone that you're with them in the trenches, that you walk with them through the deepest, darkest shadow of death, God, that you are with them in the valley of the shadow of death, and you can be trusted. Even if they can't see you, you are good, you are faithful, and you are after them. So God, we thank you for your blood that was spilled on our behalf so that my blood did not have to be spilled, God. As we drink this juice, we remember the redemption that was poured out on our behalf, and we thank you for it. God, we love you so much, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.